Welcome to Run Your Mouth, Long Run Talk for Long Talking Runners. I'm your host, David Melly. Our guests this week are the authors of the new book, Inside a Marathon, Scott Fobble and Ben Rosario of Northern Arizona Elite. Scott came back on the pod with Coach Ben, who actually attended and helped us set up the very first Run Your Mouth episode, to talk about their journey to Scott's seventh place finish at the New York Marathon this past fall as well as their plans and preparations for Boston 2019 and beyond. Scott is an incredibly talented and accomplished runner, and Ben is an equally talented and accomplished coach, but these guys really are just the best in the business when it comes to putting out thoughtful, engaging, and funny material of any kind. We had a delightfully nerdy episode with a lot of training talk, but still found time to squeeze in a spirited debate about 80s movies, and if you wait to the end, an amazing story about doing karaoke with Venus Williams. You can pick up Inside a Marathon at insideamarathon.com and stay up with these guys in their Boston buildup on Twitter and Instagram. You know where to find us, and better yet, follow and say nice things about us. And until next time, enjoy the episode. Welcome to Run Your Mouth, Long Run Talk for Long Talking Runners. Uh, we have a snowy Saturday here, um, but these guys still made it out here for uh, a return to the podcast, uh, return as a guest for Scott, and then uh, we have Ben Rosario, coach of Hoka NAZ Elite, also with us. He was here for our first episode in the audience, um, bearing with us on our technical difficulties and weird uh, audio snafus, but um, he's here on the pod now to, to bring us his wisdom. Welcome, guys. Thanks Thank you so much for having us, David. Thanks for having us, yeah, absolutely. This has been, uh, this has been quite the uh, journey for you guys. You've been all, literally all over the country on this uh, book tour for, for Inside a Marathon. Uh, how is it? Are you exhausted? Are you tired of talking about yourselves? <laughs> um, no, I'm certainly not um, tired of talking about the book by any means. Um, it's very flattering that anyone wants to come out and, well, anyone wants to buy the book or let alone come to a book signing or a reading or whatever. I mean, it was just a silly, not a silly, but it was just like an idea that we thought would be cool and um, I don't think I'll ever get used to or tired of the fact that other people think it's cool as well. So, um, no, I mean, it's been a long trip, uh, but I've been, I've been very pleased with the, the crowds we've gotten, and it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, he's probably a lot more tired than I am, because his trip started in Tampa, and he ran the Gasparilla Half Marathon. I just showed up in St. Louis, so, um, yeah, no, it's been a really fun week. Yeah, you guys uh, have been crushing it, and you're also in the middle of a build-up right now for Boston now, so... That's, um, talk about uh, burning the candle at both ends, but some people thrive on that, and so... To, be, like fa- to guys... be fair, we scheduled this trip um, on, in a, on a week that was going to be very easy running-wise. Okay. So, so he had the Gasparilla half, and then we were already scheduled uh, to have a, a nice, easy few days after that to kind of regroup and recharge before the final push uh, to Boston. So this was really the week to, to do something like this. Uh, after this, it'll be... Lockdown mode. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, it's always uh, 
Good to hear. Good to hear you're, uh, you know, recovering as hard as you're training. Um, speaking of Gasparilla, congrats, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. That was big, a big W. Yeah, that was a long time coming. I've been second a ton of times in the last three and a half years and, you know, third, fourth. Been close a lot of times, but man, it, felt, it feels good to win one again. Yeah. How, so what, what was the last race you won before this? It was the uh, Lake Nona 15K. Um, which is, you know, a hotbed of distance running performances in <laughs> central Florida. Um, and uh, I think that was November of 2015. Wow. So, yeah. And since then, I've been third quite a few times, second at three different U.S. championships and Falmouth and some other half marathons and stuff. And uh, it had been frustrating. It had been a frustrating <laughs> three and a half years. Uh, being so close. How did it feel to uh, go down to the half, or, or I guess up to the half, depending on where you're looking? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I really like the half. It's a good distance for me, and um, I feel like the half is the longest distance where you can push the whole time, um, if you have good conditions or what it, or um, a number of things, so I like that a lot. I think it's a good zone for me. As someone who has a uh... I don't know, four, four to five halves coming up yeah. in the next six months as I spend all of 2019 trying to qualify for trials. Do you guys have any uh, wisdom for what's, what's different from the half, training for the half, training for the full, mentality, tips and tricks? Well, you know, we've, we've talked about this recently, actually, that um, I don't know how many times he's really trained specifically for the half, and I know that we haven't ever had a time where he's had a half of the at the end of a segment uh, where it was the end all be all for for that segment and where we backed off and really got ready. So, in some ways, um, we don't we don't have great advice yeah. for you. You know, uh, train I, for a marathon. I think, well, I, th yeah. I think we do it sometimes in the midst of marathon training, but also other times we've done it kind of in the midst of ten k training actually, mm -hmm. uh, and both seem to work. Mm -hmm. You know, you just come at it from different ends. You know, when you're coming at it from more marathon training, you're a little stronger. Um, but the pace feels a little quicker. If you're coming at it from the 10K end, then the pace feels really comfortable, but it, the distance can feel a bit long. I think for you, uh, melding the two and just trying to um, put that right mix together of longer marathon steady work, but then also feel like if you were racing a 10K, you could do pretty well. Mm -hmm. I think that's probably, that's probably where you want to be. Yeah, that's that's the hope. Uh, we'll we'll see how it goes. Um, it's been it's been cool. I mean, I, I ran my first and second halves this past fall and couldn't. I mean, the first one went okay, but like talk about those last those last three miles felt real yeah. long. <laughs> and now that uh, I'm sure you kind of feel the same way with a couple of marathons under your belt, like having um, having the the experience of running races that long definitely is uh, a, a mental and physical. Uh, you know, confidence booster going into it. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, no, I mean, uh, yeah, it'll be, it was a good stimulus, uh, especially, like, the pace wasn't fast because the conditions were really bad in Gasparilla, but I think it was good to kind of get a, a test run in some really hot and humid conditions because Boston very well could be, um, could be pretty nasty in could, either direction. Could really. be hot, could be snowing. Yeah. It is, it is currently snowing right now. Yeah. You were out on the course this morning, uh, how did it feel? How did it look? It's a good course. I like the course a lot. Um, I think it suits me all really well. Um, the Newton Hills are their beast, 
and um, we got to get ready for them, but we got to get ready for the downhills, but I'm excited. It was, it was, kind of got chills a few times going down the course and being like, okay, this is where, this is where it's going to happen. So, um, yeah, I thought it was a lot of fun this morning. Well plowed, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we got out there real early. We left the hotel at 6 a.m. this morning, so it was before the snow had really started settling. Well, that's good, yeah. That, um, I know you guys ran, I think, through, through most of Wellesley at the beginning, and they, they always do a very good job plowing because everyone there is very rich, so <laughs> <laughs> they have the money to do it. Props to Wellesley. Yeah, they're like the, like, I don't know if you guys are big Parks and Rec fans, but, like, Wellesley, I always feel like it's the eagle tin to the bar. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, even coming from Newton, which is still a very, like, well-to-do town, like, you cross over the border and everything's just a little nicer on that yeah. side. <laughs> But yeah, it's good. It's uh, it'll be uh, good to get experience out on the course. I know you guys were the our first episode, Callan and Scott. That's were right. Here getting in their their miles on Saturday, their long runs on Sunday. So it's definitely uh, a course that it, that it helps to know. Definitely. I think. Yeah, <laughs> I think for you sure. have to. Yeah. Yeah, and after um, you know your success in New York, it seems like you're you're the kind of guy who likes these, um, you know. Little, little more technical courses, maybe? Yeah, I'd say I'm definitely more suited to the rolling hills and the, um, the non-paced races. I think if you, I could do fine if you put me on a course like Berlin or London, but um, I much prefer to be out on a Boston or a New York where you gotta deal with, might have to deal with weather and you got to deal with hills and... Um, there might be surging and it's going to be like a real race um, where you've got to make hard decisions and um, just go to the well at the very end. Yeah, I, I know um, you guys are all bossing all the time right now, but uh, I have to bring it up because today, this morning, was the, the road to gold race in Atlanta and everyone everyone's reporting that that course is going to be um, a bit of a bear and I'm sure uh, that's something that you guys are are thinking about, uh, Ben, do you, how do you sort of adjust to, to training for, you know, hillier technical courses compared with, uh, you know, maybe like a more flat, like CIM style effort? Well, I don't think it's rocket science, you know, you just do your workouts on hilly, hilly courses. Um, I think you got to train for what you're going to race on. So we we're fortunate in Flagstaff to have plenty of options on that front, so we can do really hilly long runs, we can do hilly workouts, we can pick a spot and do, you know, up and down repeats, um, Ks, 800s, miles, whatever it might be, up one way, down the other, and practice running fast on downhills, I think is really important, um, for Boston, for sure, but I think for Atlanta as well, and we'll do that, so we'll be prepared. Nice, well, well I... I know uh, we'll see you guys out there for sure as, uh, you know, I don't want to jinx anything. But, uh, <laughs> it sounds like that's going to be, um, you know, uh, a continuing part of the conversation. And, and I think everyone can agree that trials next year is going to be, I, I think, one of the more interesting races uh, that, that it is, you know, in terms of just having no favorites really on the men's side and, and a lot of guys all gunning for three spots. So... <laughs> You know, where you guys got a lot of running to do before then. I don't want to put yeah. the cart before the horse, but uh, yeah, that's that's gonna be a good one. I'm looking forward to that. Um, but yeah, I know Boston build up going well. I uh, I don't know if uh, you guys have 
you know, tip to your hand too much? Are we getting a sequel? Are we getting inside a Boston Marathon? <laughs> there will not be an inside a marathon Boston edition, but we have we have talked about doing a second one. Uh, if I make the Olympics, we might we'll do one before then, and maybe at some point in the future. But I think both of us were after the editing process, we were ready to kind of step away from that for a little while. Nice. Yeah, I know. Um, it it definitely sounds like this was a lot of work to put together, and uh, definitely shows in the uh, the process. I will say, uh, no offense, but okay. <laughs> I was going into the going into the book. I'm I'm a big fiction reader. I'm not a big nonfiction person, mm-hmm. and I was ex- It's not that I didn't have high expectations. That I was like, okay, it's gonna be running. It's gonna be very technical, you know. Might not be that much of a page turner, and I have to say, like, it, you know, not tooting your horn here, like, it was really good, <laughs> like, which is, you know, I, I, you know, I don't mean to uh, turn that somehow into a backhanded compliment, but I, I really did enjoy uh, reading it. I promise, you know, listeners, these guys are not paying me in any sort of way. Um, it was, it was an enjoyable read, and uh, definitely, um, I was not expecting a essentially. Uh, you know, expanded training log to turn into such a, a good journey. Um, did it feel like you guys sort of were thinking about during the process of building up to New York and sort of, I know you're a big writer, Scott, and everything. Um, did it change your mentality about training to also realize, like, I'm going to be putting this out there, like, I have to be thinking, like, I imagine you had to sort of force yourself to be a little introspective when it comes to like, oh, I'm gonna also gonna write this down afterwards. Um, well, before I answer that, I don't think you were the only one who thought <laughs> this is gonna be basically like a training log. And in its simplest form, like the book is a training log, but we were hoping that it felt more like a journal. And um, journals are much more interesting. There have been a lot of versions of kind of published journals that are super worth reading. Um, and even my mother, she said that she was very surprised at how good it was, <laughs> which I thought was maybe, I thought, I was like, mom, you know, I'm, you know, I do this. Like I, <laughs> I've written before you've read the what I've done. Uh, but in terms of your actual question, um, whether I was more introspective, I would say no. I think we both do a good job of analyzing our training and analyzing what's going on, um, on a very regular basis, even when we're not writing it down. So it didn't. Um, it didn't seem that strange to just kind of be open and honest on a page as opposed to just thinking it in our head. Maybe it was even more clear on a page than what we would normally be thinking. Did you, so, I I apologize if you guys have answered this already, but did you guys show each other your, like, writing as you were writing it during the build-up process? No, no, we didn't. So we, um... That was, we had decided that beforehand that we didn't want to do that. We just wanted to do our jobs during the segment, which is coach and athlete. Um, so the first time we saw each other's writing was after New York when we started editing. So we hadn't seen anything before that, which I think was a good choice, not only for the task at hand in terms of getting ready for New York, but also in terms of the book. I think it was way better, way better, because we were just so honest and raw. Had we had we been looking at it, then we would have been subconsciously trying to uh, make things flow, uh, but that would have been um, 
non-authentic. You know, I think what you got was really our true thoughts. Yeah, definitely. I, I've had a lot of conversations with my coach after races where he's like, okay, here's what I thought you could have run. And I'm like, okay, here's how I actually felt. So yeah. I know you kind of like, uh, you know, want to, in a way, you almost don't want to know what's going on. Well, it's not like we weren't communicating. Yeah. We were communicating like we always do. Uh, we just weren't communicating about what we were writing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and those conversations are, are, are documented in the in the book as well because those are part of the the journey that any coach athlete has that those back and forth those the big conversations before races but also the small ones you know after workouts during workouts things like that just little pieces of uh back and forth that kind of um give in this case the reader uh, a look into our relationship yeah how do you as a coach decide where to draw kind of draw that honesty line you know there's definitely a, a are you asking when I lie? <laughs> or, you know, when you choose, you know, I think, you know, since running is such a mental game, you know, there's definitely, I don't, I don't want to speak for you, maybe you are totally honest all no. the time, but, you know, there's times where it's like, you know, no, I know you, you look like shit today and I don't want to tell him that because then no, it's there's, there's get more a part in the book. It. There's a part of the book where he's doing this one workout late in the segment where he's kind of just real tired, you know, at this point and, and uh, you know, we kind of had to make a decision on the flight, which those are the hardest when like the during workout decisions are are much harder than ones where I can sit down and analyze and then make the choice. But, uh, yeah, the workout was uh, a tempo and then, um, some faster repeats and then another tempo. So that gives like three miles, then mile twelve eight four, and then another three mile. And after the first mile of that mile twelve eight four, you could tell he just was not having a good day. And I tried to pull him there, but he asked to keep going and, so I said yes, and then I think in the book I say, "Man, he looks like shit," you know, something like that. But uh, I did, but, yeah. And I, but then we didn't do the last three miles. So, anyways, no. I mean, to your point, yeah, you gotta be, um, you gotta be honest with the athlete, but uh, but you do have to get, or at least in in this case, once they've earned um, the right to make some of these decisions themselves, you gotta you gotta let them tell you, and and you you gotta believe that they're gonna be honest with you. And basically, in, in that particular situation, he said, "I know I can do the, I know I can at least do the, twelve eight four," and I said, "Okay, let's do it." I said, "Just don't go to the well," and uh, and he knew what I meant by that, and he he believed if he did that, he wouldn't be going to the well. And so yeah, it all worked out. But uh, those things that you're talking about are definitely there's a number of those situations I think in the book. And you as an athlete, I'm sure, have the same conversation sometimes of, you know, when do I push through? When do I own up to the fact that yeah. <laughs> I'm not feeling it today? Yeah, I mean, I've, in the last three and a half years, I've dropped out of my fair share of workouts. So I kind of know pretty early in a workout when I'm not going to finish it. And it's not like, oh man, like this is a hard workout. I don't know if I'm going to finish it in that way. It's like, a, oh, there's something not right in my legs today. Like I feel too flat or too tired like it's never the hardest workouts either that I have to drop out in usually there are workouts that I should have hit should hit pretty easily and I just get going in them and I I can't I'm like well I mean <laughs> this isn't going well you can tell like it's not going well pretty early and it's just kind of a matter of um I don't know Ben has I've never dropped out of a workout and Ben has been like no get back in there I think I've earned the right to be like it's not happening today and Ben has earned the right in coaching to be like, cut it off, Scott. I think that's, I, you hear a lot of stories in the sport about 
good coaches and maybe not so good coaches. <laughs> I think a, a hallmark of good coaches is knowing that if, if your runner is telling you that they're not feeling it, that you that's a sign that you should probably <laughs> readjust and reevaluate for sure. And, and all that to say, he's he's being humble. It's not that many that he's dropped out of. So I don't want people to sit here and think, oh, if you're not having a good one, you should just drop out. Because yeah. I mean, there's something to be learned from grinding through. There's another workout early in the book, a 20 by 400 session, where he's really not feeling good. But he tells me halfway through, well, it's not getting any worse, which I took to mean, well, he can get through it. And he, yeah. and he did, you know. So um, more often than not, you should grind through it. But there are times, as he's saying, and you, you have to know that about yourself. And you have, to, you have to earn that right not only with your coach, but, but internally, you know, within yourself. You have to grind through enough sessions so you can know, okay, this is different than grinding through. This is not good. This is diminishing returns. Uh, and those, those, those things, uh, it's a process over time. Yeah, I think we all are still growing as as runners uh, and as coaches and just knowing you know that it's a it's a delicate balance and that everybody is different um I definitely know like my coach and I work remotely now and there are times I've gotten better at it but there are definitely times when I'm like Zeb would have pulled me if he was here right now you know (laughs) like there it definitely uh you know can be uh a challenge to know to to know yourself and to self-monitor which is one of the nice things about having a a good relationship with your coach um which actually led me into uh one of the big questions i had from the book which was like when and and maybe you guys have different answers for this but like did you what was the moment in the new york build-up where you guys maybe butted the heads the most we're definitely not on the same page how well argument was everything you know fine and dandy the whole way through or, or were there times when one of you really uh, felt one way and one of you didn't feel that way at all? I don't remember any butting heads. No, I don't think we ne- ever argued. The only time I would say like uh, we were not firmly but we were potentially on opposite sides of a, a, a call was towards the end of the segment Ben cancelled our like last big workout and my initial my very, very first initial visceral reaction was, like, no, I want to do that. Because, like, I'm competitive and I'm a perfectionist and I want to run as well as I can at New York. And I know that that was a big segment. You know, that was going to be our last really specific effort. And I hadn't looked good for a little while there. But um, when Ben canceled it, probably my initial reaction was, I don't, I don't want to cancel it. I want to do it. But I didn't say that. I just said, okay. Because Ben's my boss, ultimately, and um, I think subconsciously I definitely knew that, like, I wasn't going to be able to do it anyways, and so I actually felt relief between when we canceled it officially and then the Sunday morning when I went out for a normal long run instead of going for the workout, like, I felt relieved and I realized I was, like, kind of dreading that workout. Um, So we never officially butted heads. I think that was probably closest I got to questioning him yeah i think the the i think the words i used in the book were relief as well on my end when they weren't when they didn't question it at least openly uh because yeah those are tough calls you know but uh i just really felt strongly about that one and it it was the right call for sure in retrospect um and i think i think um we've talked about this a lot on this book tour that we've been on because we do these q a's and you know they're each about 45 minutes, an hour long, and really great questions, I have to say. And one of the ones that people ask almost every time is, when do you get your schedule, and how 
how does that process work in terms of you, the coach, giving the athlete the schedule? And, and our answer is always the same because this is what it is, is we, we sit down beforehand and I show them the general outline so they understand what we're trying to accomplish and basically what we're going to be doing uh, with the understanding that things could change depending on what I'm seeing throughout. Um, and then he just kind of does his job and just follows the plan. Um, and once he's seen it once, it's almost like, okay, now get rid of that in your mind. You know it, you agree to it, it's good, uh, and on we go. And then I just give him one or two weeks at a time the actual what we're go definitely going to do. Um, the issue with that particular regard is that's one you don't forget. You're trying to forget them all, yeah. but you knew that one was coming. Uh, and uh, and I think probably it was on the schedule as well, you know, two weeks out. And, and to change it a week out was different. We don't usually have to do that um, because we do have things very dialed in. But that was a segment where we were really pushing the envelope very hard. And, and I, I just felt like at that point we'd done all we needed to do. You, I know you've been in this game a long time. Well, I don't want to age you, but <laughs> you've worked with a lot of athletes. Maybe that's a better way to yeah, put yeah, it. And, sure. and do you still get nervous for for your athletes? Do you do you worry <laughs> about uh, you know? I get these nervous. Guys going he, he always answers this question when we're at the Q and A. Uh, yeah, he gets nervous, <laughs> and I think it's cool in the book. Um, ben gets so nervous that he doesn't take care of himself on race weekend, and I think that's so funny. Like, he's an almost forty year old adult. <laughs> who is like completely capable, I mean, mostly capable of not just taking care of himself, but also like a small daughter um, for every other weekend of the year. And then major marathon comes up and without, without fail, he ends the marathon weekend like sick or like <laughs> hurt in some way. Like in Chicago, he pulled his calf cramping because he hadn't eaten or drank water for two days. And in New York, he pulled his hamstring because he hadn't really drank any water for a couple of days. Uh, so I think that's so funny. Yeah. So I love answering that question. I believe I, yeah. that might be a recurring coach thing. Cause my, my coach actually one time at Hep's, uh, passed out. Okay. It was really hot. And he, yeah. and I can see that. Yeah. We had two, it was the steeple final and then the 1500 final. And we took, I think second and third and both and like over scored our projections or whatever. And by the end of the 15, Zeb had fainted on the infield <laughs> yeah. because he had just like had too much coffee. Really it was too funny. hot, and he got too excited. So yeah, I think that might be uh, you know speaking of signs of a good coach, the, uh, a little bit of self destructive behavior because you're worried about someone else might be uh, that's right uh, part of the job description a little bit. Um, where did you did you watch from the finish line the whole time in New York? In New York, I was at the finish. They have a little friends and family viewing area where they have four or so TVs up there. They have the women's feed going straight through, the men's feed going straight through, and then they have the actual TV feed that goes back and forth, of course. So you can watch whatever you'd like. Um, and then when they got close to, you know, 18, 19, I shot over across the park to 23 um, to, to cheer for them there and give them some encouragement, which was a great spot because that's where he was rolling really well and catching Chris Derrick and Shetty Biwad and closing on Jared and, and uh, moving into the top 10. So it was a great, it was a cool spot to be at for sure. Yeah. I, uh, I was actually just this morning reading through the actual race recap in the book and I was cheering at right when you come off the Queensboro Bridge, 16. Okay. Yeah. And I remember you saying in the book like that, that, I mean that for those of you who have never spectated the New York Marathon, it's like an awesome spot to watch yeah. the race. It's like you come off the bridge and everyone swings around and comes underneath 
and it's just First Avenue is just like absolutely packed through. And you were you were saying that got you a little yeah. hyped up for yeah uh, the race. But that's uh, did when you were running New York, how how like aware of you are people on the sides? Um, I would say early in the race. I mean, I'm not like dialed in to the crowd. I'm not like paying attention to them, but. Um, I'm also not, like, blocking them out by any means. Particularly early in the race, it's nice to kind of, like, feel the energy, especially through Brooklyn. Is Brooklyn's so cool. Like, the first... The majority of the first half of the race is spent there, and... You're um, picking out apartments. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> a cool one. Williamsburg's cool. Um, definitely... Uh, and I heard one of my best friends who lives in New York now uh, yelling real loud at around 8 or 9, so... Um, he was... I mean, he was halfway in the street. It was unsafe. Um, it was very cool to like see him and uh, occasionally people, I think I'm at a point in my career where some people know my name, but most people don't. So when I hear like a go fobs, it does still register. I'm sure like Shalane and Dez, it's just white noise to them at this point. But, um, uh, well, and you can always get a go Scott and take credit for Scott. That's true. <laughs> which I do. Uh, and I, you know, I noticed a sign that I thought was really funny in Queens, right? As you come over the, the bridge into Queens, there was a woman holding a sign that said, Welcome to Queens, now get the fuck out. Which I, which I laughed at. I thought that was great. Um, so I noticed it a little bit, and then I would say once I started, I noticed it coming off the Queens Road Bridge at 16 or so, and then really didn't notice it for the last 10K. I was super dialed in, and that wasn't necessarily like a switch that I made. It was kind of just like a physical... Um, I started feeling a lot better and we were cl I was closing and there were guys ahead of me who I could see and I was going to catch and um, I just kind of got very, very focused on what I was, that exact moment, um, not necessarily on purpose, but it sort of happened. Yeah. That's, uh, I, um, right around 16, uh, Lagat, who I think was running around near you guys at that point, was looking real good, real smooth, and even did like one of those arm waves to the crowd yeah. <laughs> to get everybody hyped up. And then I had timed it so I could sneak over to the park towards the end, and uh, he looked different. Yeah. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. But yeah, that was, I will say, one of the cool things about New York last year was like watching it, you know, 25 point something. Like, I've never seen a marathon, both like with the top three guys and then with the, the top three Americans where you guys were so close, so late in the race. And I know, I mean, you've run uh, two marathons, right? Yeah. Two, so I, I guess it's uh, to ask, oh, are you used to that or whatever? But but what did that feel like to like literally be in like a, you know, almost a kicker's race scenario that late in the race? Yeah, I was fired up. I mean, I, I love racing. So to get to do that at the very end, um, which isn't, I mean, to be fair, it's not something you usually get to do. Uh, in a marathon, like I've been lucky to have been very close to Scott Smith when we ran Frankfurt, and then be in a real race scenario when we got to the park in New York. But um, I thought that was really cool, and I know that that's not always going to be the case. So um, I was, I think that really helped me run as fast as I did. Is that I had people to go chase and um, people to target, and Jared, you know, who I never caught, but. Um, he was so we got we were so close that we were like four seconds apart for the last twelve hundred meters, um, and he ended up four seconds ahead of me um, at the finish line. So I think that was that was really great. Yeah, you you that was something special to see for sure. That <laughs> yeah. was very interesting. Um, going into uh, 
this build up, this because we're we're now on marathon three. Is there anything um, you guys are doing differently from New York? You guys are, uh, you know, anything you've learned over the past couple build ups, or just like a new thing you're thrown in there? Maybe just being a little more more patient in uh, in terms of throwing the real big marathon specific stuff at him, um, because as we alluded to before, he was pretty fit pretty early in that New York segment in the last three or four weeks he was kind of hanging on by a thread and we had to kind of back off more than we had planned um, and I'd prefer to be feeling like we're on the upswing heading in and so this time we've really only done a few maybe two or three really big sessions so far and yet he's raced very well at US Cross Country and Gasparilla which are good efforts in and of themselves so I guess I would add those two to the list um, but I feel like we got a lot of the tank right now, much more in the tank than we did six weeks out from New York. Um, so that's exciting. That's, that's probably the, the one big change. Do you feel like that's a luxury of being farther along in sort of the marathon Yes, process? yes. I mean, that's, that's not abnormal from what I've done with other people in the past. The more experience you get, the shorter your specific buildup becomes because you've already got... At, at, for some people, a lifetime of this stuff, you know, and so you don't need to do as long of a build-up, and I think he's getting there. This is his third, and so, um, you know, that New York segment's not that, it's not that long ago, you know. Uh, I think an athlete feels like it's all gone, but it's never gone, you know, and so, so we don't need to uh, have as long of a build-up anyway, but I also think just the way New York worked, I mean, I think we learned that... Uh, you know, we could hold off a little bit and, and uh, maybe time it just a touch better. Yeah, I know um, you've sort of taken to the marathon a little younger than than some other folks have. Is that Was that a 2020 thing? Is that just like you've always been dying a marathon? Um, where, did, where did sort of that timing decision come into the equation for you? It was... Uh... Our proximity to 2020 was kind of a factor. Like, we wanted to get in, you know, and we got in three. We're going to get in three before the marathon. But mostly it was when I was both physically and mentally ready to run the marathon. Like, I guess I could have gone earlier even. I had a qualifier to run in the 2016 Olympic trials, but I I didn't use it. Um, But we waited until I was, like, excited to do it because the training is really hard and it's... um, not like a, it's very, very tiring. And so you have to have mental enthusiasm going into the segment. So um, if you don't have that right off the bat, you shouldn't, shouldn't run a marathon. Uh, so I didn't have it really until 2017 and until I kind of found out, felt like myself that I was physically ready. So we had put in, at that point, two really good years basically of, of aerobic training and I felt like I finally had the base to go and, and rip one and um, that made me excited about it. Yeah. When you were in college did you always sort of envision yourself You're like oh I'm gonna be a marathoner one day? Uh, kind of yeah I mean I definitely knew I was better as I as the distances went up and I was much better at cross country than I was on the track and my fifth year at Portland I ran uh, 103.59 at uh, the Houston half marathon so I kind of knew my future was on the roads. And uh, I had watched the, I think it was the 2010 Chicago, the one where Sammy Winjiru and there was that epic finish, and I was like, that's cool. (laughs) That's a really cool thing. 
And I think at that point, like I was, I knew that at some point I wanted to run the marathon. And so, yeah, I mean, I kind of knew that's where my future was and where my best shot to make an Olympic team, I think, is. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's good. One of the things I think that you touched on there that maybe was the biggest takeaway for me from the book was the kind of idea of the mentality of a full build-up is that you do get really tired. There are times when you're like, I'm crushing it. Everything is great. There are times when you're like, I never want to run another step again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, I know that, like, especially for me, like building up to the half. And, and I think anyone of any level who has sort of put in a big kind of concentrated build up to a race knows that feeling. And it's nice to have, you know, someone who's had a lot of success on the highest level sort of demonstrate that of like, the, that there is the highs and the lows, yeah. and, and maybe it's because your body is just like, your endocrine system is putting out all kinds of different hormones because you're yeah. running so much, but I know you're a big meditation guy, but, but do you feel like you have a handle on sort of how to, how to conquer that, those self-doubt moments, those like real, you know, verge of burnout type points in the training where you're just can barely stay awake, let alone work out. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know that it was like necessarily verge of burnout, except for maybe had we done that two by six, like then maybe I would have been on the verge of burning out. But, um, I try not to get emotional about it. Like I don't psych myself up to go on easy runs or, you know, it's my job and I try to do it as well as I can. Um, but I mean, it's just hard, you know, it's just like a hard thing. And I think accepting that right off the bat and at this point in my career, it's not a surprise to me when I feel really tired. So I think when you just accept that you're going to feel tired and probably shitty for a pretty long period of time, um, you can make peace with that right off the bat and know that you signed up for this. And um, you don't, you can't really like, I mean, I guess you could complain about it, but it's not really going to do anything. You're either going <laughs> to do it, get out the door or you're not. So um, yeah, I mean, I just try to, make peace with the fact that this is probably that there are going to be really shitty times right off the bat i knew that in june before we even started writing the book that there were going to be days when i didn't want to get out the door i know that was a very uh serious uh you know sincere moment but i have to ask also have you ever gotten in a car accident or come close to getting in a car accident while coaching why are you asking me <laughs> I watch uh, some of these videos sometimes, and I'm like, how much paying attention is going oh, on? No, I, no, I'm very, I'm very, I'm very careful. I think I'm a careful driver. I'm not the best driver, but I'm a careful driver. Uh, if those things can be uh, happening at the same time, um, no, I don't think I've ever been close to, to getting in an accident. My big fear when I'm driving along on these workouts is that out of excitement, I will get out of the car leave it running and have the keys in there and lock them in there. <laughs> that's, that's my big fear is that I'll lock myself out of my car. But I've yet to do that. Now, yeah, once, knock on wood. Now, yeah. once my car did not start uh, way out on a run um, after stopping and giving them fluids and I had to bust ass to go catch up with them on foot oh, and good. tell them, hey, I'm not going to be at the next stop. Don't worry. I'll figure it out. Uh, that kind of thing. Uh, and some good Samaritan gave me a jump, and I got back on it. But yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm very safe out there. Don't worry about I'm me. I'm good. Yeah. That's good to hear. Yeah. I'm going to be good to go, man. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, the, the other question I wanted to ask is, uh, this one's for Scott, but um, rough estimate, how many pairs of socks do you own? 
because there was socks. if there was one takeaway I had from the book uh, that was maybe not so scientific, it was that you have quite the sock collection. I do. I like socks. Um, I don't. I don't know. I have a. Uh, it's like maybe a one foot by one foot by one foot cube filled with socks. So however many socks can go in that. It's how many socks I have. It's Are you filled, it's filled to the throwing top. away the old ones when they get uh Yeah, once gross. they get a hole in it, I I don't care for them anymore. They're gone. <laughs> but um no, I like socks cuz uh I think they're fun fun ways to be a tiny bit individual and um I'm very very grateful that Hoka pays me money to exercise. That's awesome. <laughs> um and I'll wear their logo in all over my body because they pay me. Socks are your way to, to take the Hoka uniform <laughs> and make it yours. You know, I get between my ankle and the middle of my calf, and I'm taking advantage of that. The whole, all of it. So, um, yeah, Until like Hoka socks. comes out with a sock. Until Hoka, yeah. once, if Hoka <laughs> makes socks, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll wear it. Sorry, I don't mean to, I'm not getting anyone in trouble, I hope, yeah. on the Hoka front. What do you, what's your favorite pair currently? Do you have a favorite? My favorite current pair, um... I like these ones that I'm wearing for casual socks. They have uh, wolves on them. Nice. These ones. Um, and then, I guess in terms of like my running socks, the ones I race in, I, I like wearing white socks when I race. Um, and there's some, some nice ones that have a little camo on them or little black flecks here and there, a couple reflective ones. So I'd say I'm, those are my racing socks. I'm wearing my uh, Star Wars there you Spaceship go. socks right now. Awesome. So, yeah, I, I understand. You I understand the X-Wings. Yep, there's X-Wings, there's TIE Fighters, um, there's some Star Destroyers in there. Okay. Uh, well, I, I posted to my Instagram story yesterday a ranking of all the Star Wars movies, knowing consciously that it would be uh, controversial. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know how to get the people going. Oh, yeah. You, you know, come for the running pictures, stay for the, you know, hot takes on Star Wars. So. Speak, speaking of which, I know I saw a few weeks ago you posted your best rom-coms. Yes, yeah. that was oh, a, and so interesting. I'm thinking I, about making Friday, like, Fridays as, Friday, like, the list day. Your list yeah. day. And I, I have a bone to pick with you. Okay, let's hear it. You listed, what, is it, were there two John Hughes movies in there? There was Breakfast Club. Yeah. And what was the other one in there? What was your other one? Was it? <sighs> Breakfast Club isn't a rom-com. That's a coming of age. No, 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 hold on. All right. Bre yeah. Breakfast Club is not in the rom-com. All right, sorry. It was in the teen Okay, yeah. your teen. Ferris Bueller's Day Off is the other one. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yeah. Okay, so then I only have a bone to pick with uh, Breakfast Club. That movie did not age well, if we're going to be completely honest. Okay, let's hear it. Didn't well. age well. Um, first of all, I don't care for the fact that uh, Judd Nelson basically spent the whole movie like sexually harassing Molly Ringwald. Yeah, that's fair. And then she ends up with him. I didn't care for that. I, rec I recently rewatched it, right? Because I, uh, I was on Netflix or something, and I clicked on it, and I was like, oh, this is such a good movie. And I watched the whole thing, and I was like... I don't think this would live after the Me Too movement. <laughs> and the second thing I didn't care for was the um, the girl who's, I think she's labeled the freak. I'm sorry, I don't know. I don't remember. Ali Sheedy. Yeah. yeah. Ali Sheedy, yeah. yeah. So she's a babe the whole time. She doesn't need to get all dolled up. And, well, that's a like, rom-com classic. I know, <laughs> but I didn't care for that. I didn't care for that motif there. I think you can tell she's attractive the whole time, and frankly, she, the guy who falls for her shouldn't have cared whether or not she's attractive either. She was super cool. That's fair. I think so. those are both valid criticisms. I like The Breakfast Club. I will say that I agree with both <laughs> yeah. of those. I definitely... I, this is a, a very uh, 2019 sentiment to have, but like any of those movies, I'm always 
my default assumption is that they are not going to hold up, mm-hmm. and I'm always pleasantly surprised <laughs> when movies do hold up okay. and aren't problematic in there. Like, uh, what did I watch? I watched Sixteen Candles the other night as well because I was that like, one, yeah, that one doesn't hold up either. See, you're not quite the ring wall. I know. Kid. I well, thought I was not, I, you know, I thought you were going to say what I got, some of the criticism I got, which is that people were mad that there was not more John Hughes. Oh, okay. My... No, I think John Hughes can stay in the eighties. Yeah, I will say it's uh, <laughs> my... a hot take. And I don't think the Run Your Mouth podcast has ever gotten this far into the weeds, but uh, John Hughes. You can stay in the 80s, brother. That's fine. And if you say that, the Run Your Mouth podcast has absolutely... <laughs> and folks are big film critics. Uh, me and Daniel Wynn spent approximately 40 minutes of our hour and a half podcast just talking okay. about movies. Um, honestly, this is what the people come for. I was concerned this podcast was going to be a little too, too running dry. focused, so mm-hmm. I'm glad that we got this out here. Uh, do you have a favorite rom-com, Ben? Do I have a favorite rom-com? My wife and I love the rom-coms. Um... You know, every Christmas season we watch Love Actually. Yeah. Also, some spots in that. that Doesn't hold up. <laughs> However, I still watch it every yeah, Christmas. Yeah, exactly. Season. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm a sucker for that McConaughey. You know, so I like How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days. Okay. Okay. I mean, Kate Hudson's good too. Um, what else? Um, gosh, those are two that come to mind for me. Yeah. yeah. How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days is like the. Guilty pleasure type rom com. Yeah, that I'm like. not a big I'm not a big McConaughey guy. I'm a big Julia Roberts guy. Like Notting Hill, My Best Friend's Wedding. But yeah, what's Julia the Roberts. One, what's I, the one with Gosling uh, and Emma Stone? Uh, crazy uh, stupid love. Crazy stupid. Love. I don't love that one. Actually. What? Yeah. Come on. I think Steve the Carell? weird the Steve Carell vibe is weird. Ryan Gosling. I know. Speaking of controversial takes. Doesn't do it for me. What is like, wrong with you? He seems a little smarmy. Like he's he's not charming as much as he's like, like he has that kind of like, a little like it's douchey charming. Oh, like, I disagree. David, with I'm that. a heterosexual male, <laughs> okay. and Ryan Gosling does it for me. You know who loves Ryan Gosling? Heterosexual men. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. He, those are his biggest. That things. is a thing. Yeah. Yeah. That is Him a thing. Because I've had this conversation with other people. Yeah. Dudes love Paul Rudd. That's the other one. Yeah, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah. What about what about when Gosling punches um, Kevin Bacon? That's such a great part. That's a good scene. But then, you know, I'm violent. Like, let's work it out with our words. Like, you know, let's have some healthy. What's his name? Lindhagen. Yeah. Linda Lindhagen. It's <laughs> a great name. Anyway. Yeah. Any. We've really, you know, gone far afield here now. Um, but I'm glad we did. That's that needs to be. Well, you don't like Bradley summer. Cooper either. I love the star. A Star Is Born. That was <laughs> yeah. that was a great movie. Um, what else have I seen him in? He was okay in Silver Linings Playbook. Um, that actually, where my parents live now, and. Pennsylvania, they live in Swarthmore, Pennsylvania. Okay. Which runners know because yeah. Swarthmore, short track, ha ha ha. Um, but the Swarthmore is this like weird little like sm- like hippie gem in Delaware County, which is if you've seen Silver Linings Playbook, it's all filmed in Delaware County. Okay. Like crazy Eagles fans, like people like literally at my church, like we pray for the Eagles <laughs> during Christmas. Like, and so that movie was charming to me for a, a little bit of a different reason and that I was like, yep, this is this is what they're That's like. That's a good one. Not Uh-oh. to get, I mean, I know you like getting into the weeds. You know, who else is from Delaware County is Tim Donaghy, who's the NBA ref who uh, fixed a bunch of games. There's a nice ESPN article out there on that. And him and all his friends, all from Delaware County. I believe that. Yeah. That does not surprise <laughs> me in the slightest. I, 
I will say, as a uh, Patriots fan, I don't want to talk about uh, professional well, sports controversies yeah. we'll just right leave now. that with yeah. me, maybe. <laughs> let's not Even, get into you know, that. Let's get back to the running, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, it's uh, always... Always interesting. Let's see. Is there anything else? I, I want love to this ask black you guys book, about? by the way, that you have. Oh yeah, I got my little. Uh, normally, I type up like the prep, but I I found the that my little moleskin was easy because I was like mm-hmm. going back and forth from like the book to my notes, and it was it made for it made it traveled well for sure. Um, oh, I know. Are you any plans for our next tattoo? For our next tattoo, uh, I should wait more uh, longer. I do like sometimes I do get the urge to just impulsively get one, but nothing is in the works, and I'm not going to impulsively get another tattoo. That's fair. No. Yeah. Ben, do you have any tattoos? I have three tattoos, but I'm getting too old. You too know? old? I don't know. I might, I might do I might do one. Uh, you never know. I, there's a lot of, you know, in the book, there's a lot of pictures of Scott with his shirt off. I know. No, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no Adrati calls them nudes. Yeah. <laughs> um, can confirm, unfortunately, they are not nudes. He's wearing pants at all. In every picture in the book, he is wearing pants, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. But uh, don't worry, no pictures of me with my shirt off in the book. <laughs> if you want safe. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, uh, the other thing I was going to ask. Uh, so explain to me, and apologies if I missed this somewhere in there, but I don't, I've never understood what the training value of saunas what is the what's why where does saunas factor into the recovery conversation well Uh, it's not a recovery thing yeah no it doesn't it doesn't do anything for recovery in fact it does the opposite so you get anytime you get adaptations obviously that is going to diminish recovery it takes energy to create adaptations but um uh saunas have been found to stimulate your body to create more red blood cells so um it's basically like going down, if you were going down to Houston and training for over the summer in Houston, it would be really shitty at the start, and then you would get more red blood cells, and it wouldn't be so bad at the end, um, and you would feel better. So it we, does that, and it here also... Here in Boston, we say humidity is the poor man's altitude. That's right, so. yes. And so a sauna is basically um, that. That's the same thing, poor man's altitude. Um, and it also uh, does... The more you expose yourself to heat, the better. Your body's very good at getting better at heat adaptation. So, uh, we did it one one segment. We sauntered two blocks once right before Falmouth because we knew that had the potential to be really hot. It wasn't, but it could have been. Dolphin is, and then once uh, at New York, kind of to get those extra red blood cells um, before the big race. We should say that uh, there's not a ton of studies. You know, there and so it's not. Um, it's an ongoing uh, process figuring out exactly how to do it. We're following a certain protocol from one of the studies, um, but things are continuing to be researched on this front. Uh, particularly, there's never been actually a, a, a scientific study done for people using sauna at altitude. The, the studies we're using are act, were actually done at sea level. So. You know, but you got to take swings. You got to try things. And for Scott, he's had a lot of success with it, and a couple of our other athletes as well. Um, and I would tell you that there's recently some some research that suggests uh, getting in the hot tub has basically the same effect. Um, so we get in there, the sauna or the hot tub, um, like after moderate exercise, uh, ten times over the course of twenty one days, uh, and then we 
back off for two weeks before the race. Anyway, so so all these long showers I'm yeah. taking are, are really <laughs> may just make me faster. Yeah, <laughs> and anecdotally, um, we published all of my blood tests as well in the book. Mm-hmm. And uh, so if you're a big blood test nerd, you can nerd out in the back. It's appendices. Um, but you saw we got one of them immediately after a sauna protocol. And we saw exactly what you would expect if it was working. So yeah. compared to an earlier one, my ferritin went down, my hematocrine hemoglobin both went up, um, which is the same thing you'd see if you go to altitude. Um, if you get altitude adaptations and uh, your body needs fer- takes the excess ferritin, changes it into hematocrine hemoglobin. That's a very, very unscientific way of explaining it. I'm sorry, Steve Magnus. But uh, yeah, so anecdotally, well, it's, it's that hard is encouraging. Part of why we don't have more scientific studies of this is that we're looking at, I was actually just having this conversation with someone the other day, it's like, you, scientific studies are not designed for doing what athletes are trying to do, which is taking a very small population that is not at all reflective of the population at large and trying to get very small marginal gains Mm -hmm. at having already, you know achieved a high level of performance. We were talking about it in the context of um, beet juice, which everyone, like, is, you know, the, I don't want to say mixed science, but the sketchy science around whether beet juice is actually increasing your uh, VO2 max through some sort of process. But it is one of those things where it's like, yeah, how do you, you know, (laughs) how are we going to do a scientifically valid study when we're talking about a really small population who already have, you know, 99th percentile values and all of these various things that we're trying to measure. Yeah, and very, very top-level elite athletes will never be studied in a really controlled way because we're trying to work with and manipulate a ton of variables, you know, whether that's weekly mileage or workout intensity or paces or whatever. Um, and we're not going to stick to a protocol that's not, that is not working. We're adapting it constantly, and that doesn't lend itself to concrete uh, solutions being like, well, it could be the beet juice, or it could be the sauna, or it could be um, the fact that he just got really fit this time, or it could be the increased mileage, or yeah, yeah. it's never going to be conclusive, especially at the elite level. So, kind of just have to figure out what works for you. How prescriptive are you with recovery in terms of your athletes? You know, obviously you're. You mean um, what they're doing at home to recover, or yeah. <laughs> or... Um, not very. You know, I'm not trying to manipulate and control every single aspect of their life. Uh, We're trying to put together a group of people that are very smart and very bright and very dedicated to what they do. So as a result of that, typically, they're pretty good at that. Uh, You know, we talk about it, but um, I think mostly it's in terms of my uh, role in their recovery is just making sure that I space things out between workouts and that we, we're not, you know, we're not over training and, uh, you know, giving them opportunities like this week to recover and absorb what we've done. Um, and then they've got to, they've got to be adults about uh, taking care of their bodies uh, when I'm not around. And I think they do that. Yeah. I mean, I will knock on wood, but uh, it seems for the most part, like uh, your group is pretty healthy most of the time so yeah we, we've been fortunate I mean I think a lot of that is our strength and conditioning coaches because they do a great job we're in there every Monday and every Thursday and um, they're the work that they're doing in there is is both preventing injury and also enhancing performance and 
um, that's a huge part of, of our health. And then I think also the way we train and, and the fact that we're at altitude so we keep our easy runs pretty easy, I think that helps as well. There's a number of things. Well, before we wrap up, is there, I know you guys have been answering questions about this book for, for a long time now. Um, is there anything where you guys are like, I wish someone had asked me this. I want to talk about this. No one ever brings this up. Are there aspects of the whole build-up process, the book writing process, that you, you need to, the people to know that has not come up before? I've never been asked what my favorite chapter is. Yeah. I think my favorite chapter is the Falmouth chapter. Nice. Yeah. We usually read the one right before that, but I like the Falmouth one a lot. Why do you like it, Scott? Oh, thank you. Ben. Um, I like it because I think it was the first time in the process of writing the book where I really, really got in a groove and just banged it out, and then I finished writing it, and I was like, oh, shit, that was good. That was the first time in the book, and a, f a few other times it happened where I would write something and be like, this, I like this, I don't really want to change it anymore. This is perfect on the first time. Um, but the Falmouth time, it was the first time it happened, and it happened in a race chapter, and uh, Ben, who's here as well, got really good pictures. So I think yes. those were my favorite. That was yeah. my favorite chapter. And as you know, anyone looking at the results will know, uh, Scott beat me by a couple minutes at that race. <laughs> I was doing a workout, so I think you know. I, yeah. I also wanted to. I didn't want to. A lot of people been wondering about too that. much. Yeah. Yeah. People um, ask multiple people multiple times. Yeah, that is a fun one though. That it was your first good. Falmouth, right? It was. Yeah. I've been asked a couple times on the book tour, did it feel good to beat David Melly? Yes, of course. Yeah, I'm sure that comes up a lot. <laughs> I was like, I didn't know he was racing. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Yeah, the, uh, our friend um, Dana Giordano has a funny uh, Falmouth story where... Oh, yeah. <laughs> she, um, she raced, ran it, she raised some money and stuff and was kind of running it, uh, not super seriously, but she was at the finish line afterwards and... She, I should let her tell this one she, next time she comes on, but she had only met Ben Flanagan for like 30 seconds in passing the day before, but for whatever reason, like when he crossed the finish line having won, she like throws her arms out and there's all these <laughs> pictures of each other of like literally looking like their best friends and like she's yeah. so happy for him and they like basically did not know That's each other good. at the yeah. time. That's good. So, well... Dana, like, we met the day before as well, and it was funny, we're, it was kind of towards the end of the race, and uh, Dana's from Falmouth, so people were probably cheering for her and stuff, and um, the whole men's race is coming up on her, so people are cheering for the men's race, and Dana just happens to be, like, 15 meters in front of us, and so people are yelling really loudly, and she kind of thought, I think, that it was maybe for her, and she was like, yeah, she was waiting, and then, like, seven guys... <laughs> Went yeah, right past her. Yeah. I thought that was like even in the middle of the race, like that's kind of a funny thing. To say. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you think you're a local celebrity, and then yeah. You <laughs> nice. Well, uh, to wrap it up, uh, as you guys know, we ask our guests the same three questions. You don't get out of it by being a returning guest. You okay. either got to double down or come up with a new answer. Gotcha. But uh, our first question is your uh, Instagram crush, Instagram, Twitter. Whatever you're feeling, it doesn't have to be a person, but sort of just something that you're feeling on the internet these days. I will say, my, not an Instagram crush, but my thing that I'm into currently, slash not currently, because I've always loved it, is those videos where they take sports moments and put in My Heart Will Go On playing mm -hmm. as the climactic <laughs> sports moment goes on. Um, that's every single time, no matter what sport, no matter whether I care about it or not, I'm like... 
this is the best, most emotional thing ever. So that's mine. Uh, I'll put you on the spot, Scott. What's yours this week? Um, mine is uh, this woman, Blair Braverman, who is a sled dog racer in Alaska. She's training for the Iditarod. I actually just read her book, but um, she just announced her Iditarod team, and the pictures are just so great and so cute. So wow. I'm, I'm big on the on the Blair Bra- Braverman train right now. Does she have tryouts and make cuts and stuff? Like, did she, she have make, to I mean, she sit a puppy cuts, down and be like, like "Listen, buddy." <laughs> she make cuts. The you just don't have what it kennel. takes mentally. <laughs> yeah, but no, she did did was trying out the whole. Um, they had I think twenty five dogs at the kennel she was at and or maybe runs, I'm not entirely sure, but uh, she announced her 14 that are going to the Iditarod. It's very cute. I'm a big... Um, they've all got fun names. I'm a big fan of Flame and Jenga. Jenga didn't make the team, unfortunately, Aww. but she's good. She's a good dog, Jenga. That's a very cute dog name. Yeah. <laughs> Remember what your dog's name is? Blue Dog. Blue Dog. Mm-hmm. That's a good one, yeah. too. <laughs> all right, Ben. Uh, so you said I could say Instagram or anything else? Internet. Generally, <laughs> internet. internet you know, something you're into. Internet the thing. internet. Yeah, I use Instagram almost purely for work. Uh, so I only, you know, look at it for work purposes. So I would say I have always been a big Bill Simmons fan, so I always go on The Ringer and I always listen to uh, the podcasts on there, particularly the Rewatchables and the Golf Podcast, but that's not going to be very interesting for most people. Uh <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. The, re-wa- the rewatchables on, on the Bill Simmons uh, website. That's, that's um, my favorite. I will say, in terms of crushes and content, your wife, who took a lot of the photos that are in the book, does an incredible job. And, it, and it's, we talked about this a couple months ago, but she's not a professional photographer No, she's just yeah. teaching herself, just like she and taught herself she, yeah, graphic design and everything else. Yeah, Crushing it, because yeah. one of the greatest things about this book... And again, it just seems like I'm like tooting your guys' horn, but like seriously, the photos in it are, are really, um, really great and make a make it for a very interesting read for sure. Thank you. Read and look. <laughs> yeah. All right, next one, your go-to karaoke song. Someone's handing you the mic, oh, got a good and story here. you gotta go for it. Um, I would say I'm just gonna get out of the way because I know Ben has an important story to tell about <laughs> karaoke. Uh, but I generally go. Um, I got friends in low places. So here's the thing. Last Tuesday, uh, so Venus Williams, mm-hmm. the Venus Williams, was training in Flagstaff for a month. She uh, uh, was trying out altitude training for the first time. So for whatever reason, she had come across it and wanted to try it. So she's in Flag for this whole month. And people had seen her around here and there, particularly at Hypo 2, where we do our strength, strength work. And I found out from Dan Berglund, our blood testing guy, that um, she really wanted to go out once before she left town. And she liked bar trivia and karaoke. She sounds great. I know. (laughs) I'm like, this is amazing. I also like those two. I know. So do I. So I said, Dan, you got to make this happen. So the Tuesday night was her last night in town, and I get the text from Dan. It's on. Karaoke tonight. Monte V. So I'm like, oh, this is unbelievable. So I I was trying to think to myself, like, should I I tell people about this? I I don't want to, like, overwhelm her. And so I was just like, but I'm such a bad friend if I don't tell people (laughs) what's happening. So I kept texting all these people, hey, I just want to let you know. I'd be a bad friend if I didn't tell you this. Venus Williams is going to be singing karaoke the Monte V tonight. So anyway, it got around. So there's a number of people there. And um, Venus sang, um, she sang Waterfalls. Nice. Uh, did a great, great job. Did uh, she have the whole left eye verse down? She, she, had the da- she was dancing. She was oh, unreal. Wow. Uh, and then she also sang Boulevard of Broken Dreams by Green Day <laughs> later. So that was really good. Uh, 
my thing is, I messed up, because I was, you know, you want to impress Venus Williams, you know? And uh, I should have sang maybe Friends in Low Places or maybe Folsom Prison Blues, more of my uh, go-tos. Uh, and I sang, for whatever reason, Chattahoochee by Alan Jackson. Interesting. It was horrible. I did terrible. <laughs> I was very embarrassed. I, I couldn't look at her the rest of the night. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, that's my karaoke story more so. Than that anything. was a good one. I, yeah. I'm glad we got that on the pod. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I was thinking about this this morning. I think, speaking of doing a terrible job, like I think vocally I do not have the ability to do this, but I think a really fun karaoke song to do would be Somebody to Love by Queen. I think that that would get the people going. It's good. It's passionate. <laughs> it's it's topical of, currently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, don't even get me started on that. <laughs> uh, no, it's a great song. Um, and uh, that would be embarrassing if I sang it, but I might do it anyways yeah. just to have the experience. And last but not least, your death row meal. You're going to the chair today. You got uh, one life left to live. What are you eating? I mean, for on-brand content, obviously I'm getting a smothered burrito. <laughs> um, smothered burrito. I was, I was worried we were going to go the whole episode without talking about burritos. <laughs> That'd be okay. Um, yeah, so for on-brand content, I'm getting a smothered burrito, smothered with green sauce, um, carne asada on the inside, with green chilies on the inside, um, and we're probably going to have a nitro milk stout from the left-hand brewery to wash it down, and then... Um, after that, probably a nice glass of um, some nice whiskey. The nice whiskey. I don't know. The good one. All right. We can walk, finish one. it. Yeah. I feel like you're going to go out. You should probably Johnny have a glass Walker, of whiskey Johnny Walker, that's what I've heard of. That's yeah. about <laughs> I'm nice not a whiskey one. guy myself. If there's any so. whiskey connoisseurs who want to make, uh, make some recommendations, I'll have that Before one. we execute yeah, stuff. Yeah, that one is great. <laughs> ben? Well, I was just in St. Louis for the book tour this week, and uh, that's where all my favorite foods are, um, because that's my hometown, and there's this one place called Gus's Pretzels that's been there forever, uh, right by Anheuser-Busch Brewery, and they sell, uh, you can get either a hot dog, a bratwurst, or a salsita inside a pretzel, and it's amazing, and for me, it's the salsita, so I would get the Gus's Pretzel salsita uh, with, you know... um, I don't even need a side to be honest. I just need I just need the, the side of just have a second one, pretzel, you know? yeah. little Gatorade to wash it down. I'm good. <laughs> yeah, I'm a very simple good. guy. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, I was uh, this morning. I uh, had completely forgotten and then rediscovered. I, I was I just worked work, worked out, and you know how when you're like real low blood sugar, you're not always making the most logical of decisions. Yeah. I was out of eggs, and so I ran down to the store and I saw those. Um, Pillsbury cinnamon rolls oh, yeah. with like the uh, frosting can that like you put on them and I was like you know what I'm getting those yeah. and I had a couple with breakfast this morning and they were delicious so just like a whole plate of those I'm fine with that right yeah. now <laughs> going out I'll just eat all the Pillsbury uh, yeah. cinnamon you'll feel horrible after but you're only going to be there's only so yeah. much after so yeah. <laughs> alright well thank you guys for, for coming in and braving the snow and uh Talk and shop with us at the end of this. Can we uh, tell people where to get the book? Yes. Yeah. Tell okay. people where to get the book. Uh, the book has its own website, insideamarathon.com, and that's where you can buy the book. And if you buy it online uh, anytime in the near future, your copy will be signed. Hell yeah. yeah. Can you, you make requests as to what? You can. Uh, yeah. People do. There's people little, do that all the time. Uh, do people ask weird, you to say weird stuff? Or? Sometimes <laughs> they're very specific. They tell you exactly what they want you to write. Like, yeah. to Todd... 
good luck in Milwaukee or whatever. And that's fine. We're happy to do that. That's pretty wholesome. Yeah, I feel like, a, you know. I mean, that wasn't a weird one. I, <laughs> but, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, th- that's in the notes section. You can do that. Mm-hmm. And these guys are on Instagram and Twitter and all that stuff, too. Mm-hmm. We, have, we now have a website, too, for our podcast. So we always put everyone's socials up on there when we put up the episode. But uh, thank you guys again. Um, good luck with Boston. We'll, we'll see you guys out there on the course in a... Not too long now, a couple of weeks. And yeah, definitely. Six we'll weeks. be cheering for you for sure. Well, awesome. thanks, thanks so much, guys. It's Thank you. Run your mouth. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah.